Welcome to Redemption from Addiction podcast. This podcast is a biblical ministry aimed at helping people overcome their addiction by sharing personal testimonies about their journey. The testimonies shared have a common theme, and that is how Jesus Christ touched their lives and walked them through the entire process and is still walking with them today. Our hope is that you will be touched by these stories and you will take the next step and invite Jesus into your life and let him redeem you from the strongholds of addiction. All throughout my history to Redemption from Addiction podcast. Today is March 22nd of 2022. Um, I've got a really special guest on on the show tonight, and I'm really encouraged to let her share her story. Her name is Sue Bowles, so welcome, Sue. Um, Sue reached out to me on a uh, podcast guest matching service, uh, and I found you know part of her story was was really original and unique in a sense that Many people have had this happen, uh, but the struggle and the overcoming is is unique to her, and I'm really uh, excited to have her hear, her share her story tonight. So, um, Sue has published several a uh, couple of works that she's going to mention. Um, she she does a lot of work in her field, and I think Sue, your goal is to um, reach as many people as possible, and that's what we're we're here to do. So. Um, yeah, Sue, welcome to the show. Uh, you can you can kind of take it from here and introduce yourself, and then we'll kind of get into your story. Welcome. Oh, sounds great. Thanks for having me, Matt. I've been looking forward to this, so I appreciate the opportunity. Uh, as Matt said, my name is Sue Bowles, and I am a master certified life coach. I'm a speaker, and you know, did podcasts. I have a book out, and um, my 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 heart is to help others who feel like there's no hope. My heart is to help others who might feel like they're too far gone that God can't care about them because they've screwed up too bad. And uh, as you'll hear, as we get into everything, I was there at one point in time and I'm here to say there's hope. So I'm looking forward to looking forward to tonight to get into a little more for you. Yeah. Thank you, Sue. Uh, is I'm, I'm sure it's going to touch people. <laughs> so um, just on the surface, um, you know, you, you so you, we talked and, did a summary, you, you had an eating disorder and you've mm-hmm. overcame that. And, um, just to kind of lead off, can just kind of take us through your journey, starting with the, your childhood, what, what ages you can remember and, you know, kind of where your life cycled through, um, from that point. Sure. And I, I do this whenever I speak, I just want to give a quick trigger warning. Um, the things I'm going to talk about here in a minute have to do, as he said, with eating disorders, depression, being suicidal, um, and childhood trauma of sexual assault. If there are little ears in the room that maybe you don't want, to, it's not appropriate for them to hear it. Please you know, take action on that. Feel free if you need to to shut off the show and come back later. If it, if any of those situations are a potential trigger for you, please be sure that you have a self care plan in place. Uh, or again, if you need to take a break and come back later. I never want my story to do harm. I only wanted to help. So, but I was going to put that out there first. 
having said that, um, what Matt is, is mentioning, when I was in first grade, a classmate of mine enticed me into the woods and uh, proceeded to rape me. And he held me against my will for 45 minutes. And his last words to me, he went out one end and I went out the other. And his last words to me put me in a prison and I didn't know I was being sentenced that day. And his, 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 uh, his words were, don't tell anybody. Mm-hmm. And when you're seven years old, you have no idea what just happened. All you know is something bad happened. Rape was not on the radar in the 70s. No one knew to ask a question. I didn't know to say anything. And the only person that did anything wrong that day is the boy who raped me. But I was still held captive by his words. Because so, you, so you were assuming a lot, a, a sense of guilt in some way? Um, I, I really don't know what I was feeling at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I was scared. Um, I, 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 I can't identify what I was feeling. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, the I, state I of confusion. Like, I mean, as an, ad- yeah, fear, I think, I think, fear. you know, and now that you say that, you know, I think you, you hit it right on the head, not, not being, even being able to identify at that age, what, what feeling that you had. I, right. I, I didn't really have any awareness of my own emotions, you know, and how to call it out you know, until mm-hmm. I got to be older. So I think that's the right answer, even though you didn't know, mm-hmm. you didn't know what you, I, I can imagine. I, I can't imagine, but I can, you know, in, in that situation, but go, yeah, go ahead. Well, and it's interesting you say that because um, trauma rewires your brain. Yeah. So here I am at seven years old, which they call the age of reason. Your brain is really starting to learn how to process things. And my brain is rewired because of a trauma. Yeah. That was held secret. So I didn't have a chance to be a normal child. I didn't know what it meant to be carefree, to not be worried, to not feel like I had to protect myself. And my emotions were frozen in time that day. Mm. And the way I describe it is think of the thing that's shoved in the back shelf of your freezer. The longer it's in the ice box, the thicker the ice gets. And that's what was going on with my emotions. From the age of seven until the age of 18, when I finally, I'm sorry, age 22, when I finally told someone, yes, 15 years later, there was a lot of stuff that was piled on top of that. Mm-hmm. All, and that all got frosty, too, because, again, I didn't know how to process things. Yeah. We'll get back to that. I'm getting yeah, yeah. ahead of myself. Here. Yeah, I got you. Um, <laughs> so so um, that secret from first grade ended up getting stuffed down and I didn't know it. And as I look back now, I see how it affected me in so many different ways. But when it was happening, I didn't make that connection. <clears throat> when I was in high school, you know, I, I was, I call myself unstable, insecure because I, 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 I had a need to be known. I had a need to be seen because if I was seen, then I had value and I was searching for value because as I trace it back now, that day in the woods taught me I wasn't valued for who I was. So, and again, in retrospect, I've put together so much that I didn't put together at the time, right. but you know, when I, in middle school, high school, you know, there was all this going on. Um, 
by the time I get to college, you know, I grew up in a dysfunctional home. Um, as I got to college, you know, high school, college, you know, my dad's alcoholism was starting to show. Um, it is very important for me to tell you, first of all, that relationships are restored better than they ever have been. Dad is 31 plus years sober. Uh, my brother, Scott, is nine plus years sober. So uh, all that, you know, shine the light on the tunnel because the tunnel gets kind of dark here for a while. Yeah. Um, but, um, but I had the alcoholism going on. I had, you know, not knowing how to deal with my emotions. I had a lot of insecurity. I was suicidal in high school. Mm. I, I was, I was, I was suicidal in high school. I said something to a friend who thankfully reached out to a teacher. And next thing I know, someone's calling my mom. Mm. Um, you know, so I was thankful for that. Then by the time I get to college, college is already a bit, already a hotbed of stress you have all this jagged rock for a foundation and then you throw in independence and having to learn how to be an adult and time management and all these things. And I was just a mess, an absolute mess. And, and I'm allowed to say that because I'm talking about myself, but in high, in college that need to be seen magnified. I got over-involved in college. I, I was, if I was seen, I had value. And if I had value, I mattered. Mm-hmm. In terms of the eating disorder, it started probably um, maybe junior year. I'm really not sure when, junior or senior year. And I got uncomfortable. I had painted the picture. I had worn a mask all this time, high school and college, that Sue was the strong one. Sue had it all together. Sue was the one you could go to. Sue could handle anything. There was no, Sue didn't have any problems. Sue had no needs where I knew that was very different. So how it all warped out was that I may have enjoyed another serving of food. Being hungry is a natural thing. It's how God has designed our bodies. And yet my brain, because it had a jagged foundation and an unstable foundation, couldn't process things correctly Instead, when I got hungry, my brain told me, if I go up for more food, I'm going to be, quote unquote, found out. Mm-hmm. Because suddenly everyone, in quotes, notice all the generalities, everyone will know that Sue has a need and my cover will be blown. And I didn't want to be found out to be someone that I had painted the picture that I wasn't. Mm. So I dumped my tray and I got out of Dodge. And instead, I started snacking to curb my hunger. That's where my eating disorder started. And, and activity, with all this, I've learned that activity became my number. Because if I stayed busy, I didn't have to, feed, have to think. Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff. Because remember, my emotions were frozen. So by this time, emotions were my enemy. Mm-hmm. That's how that's my brain was, was interpreting it all. Um, so much more in between there. But my, my senior year of college, my dean of students had become my mentor, my confidant, my counselor. And he knew that I wasn't quite ready for the workforce. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he could put a finger on what the real reason was. So he was giving me different homework assignments to try to help me get ready. And we would talk about him the following week. And we were talking about it one day. I still do not remember the question. I don't remember what the homework was. 
All I remember is looking at the carpet in Ed's office and going off on some crazy monologue that ended with my voice trailing off saying, well, when society tells you not to say anything. And he followed up with that, mm-hmm. asking if my parents hurt me. And I said, no. And he said, somebody else. I said, yes. And then he asked what happened. I did not know my secret wanted to come out. I didn't even know I really had the secret. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know it needed to come out. And that day was the first day I got the key to my jail cell. Wow. It took a long time to be able to get out of that jail cell. So from but seventh grade to senior me. year in, in, in high school. From first, from first grade. Oh, first senior grade. Year, 15 years. Yeah. I, 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 I was seven, seven years old. Seven years old, grade. but you're, you're 18 yeah. at this point. 22. 22. Okay. So, um, can you, going through that period of time, what, I know you, you said your dad had a you know, struggle with alcohol and he's recovered mm-hmm. now. What, what was your relationship like with your, your parents during that time? Um, there's, when I, as I was growing up and even in college and after college, there's always been, been a time period where I really didn't remember a whole lot. That is coming back some now, especially as I see pictures, I'm having better memories. And, and that is actually a byproduct of trauma. That's a very normal reaction for people not to remember segments of time um, when they've had a trauma. And I, and I had to come to kind of come to grips with that. But it was, as I look back, and as I, I, as I recall things now, it, my, my relationship was, was good. Um, as I got older, especially in high school and then college, um, you know, you have your, your regular conflict. But that's where I didn't know how to deal with it. I remember one time one of my siblings got in a heated argument with mom and dad. And, and I don't remember what it was, but they were yelling like crazy. And, and again, you know, so that makes me feel insecure. So I remember telling myself that will never happen to me. Mm. And what that meant was that I didn't learn to speak up for myself mm. because I started avoiding conflict and no one likes conflict. But the nature of development is that in high school and college, as you are developing into an adult and you are developing your own autonomy, there will be some conflict because everyone is learning to reestablish their roles and have new identities and move more from a parent to a guide to a mentor or a friend as compared to an authoritarian figure. And then a child's learning how to start thinking and making decisions for themselves and stand up for themselves and communicate that and act on those decisions. And that is going to breed conflict. Mm-hmm. Well, I tried to avoid conflict. So all those life skills that happen through conflict, including how to resolve conflict and talk through things, mm-hmm. I didn't learn how to do. I cheated myself from that because it's all I knew was to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, there, was, there was a time there where I would say, say I was estranged from mom. That is reflective of me and the work I had to do. Mm -hmm. She was concerned for me. She wanted to be involved in my life. And because of some different things, I had to get to the point where I was willing to let that happen. Right. And I had, it was a lot of work I had to do within myself. It had absolutely nothing to do with mom and everything to do with me. And I'm thankful to say that my mom moved in with me in 1997 Mm -hmm. I was her caregiver her last eight years of her life. And I'm sitting in the room where mom lived. Um, wow. You know, 
I, I mean, my mom became a very dear friend and, and, and I ended up calling her one of my best friends. That's awesome. We doesn't see eye to eye at times. Oh. But I, but I, I, I learned to treasure her mm-hmm. and to value her. And that made all the difference in the world. Yeah. And I, I, pre- I really appreciate you honoring your, your mom and that I know that's important to you. I can really tell that she, she made a strong influence in your life. But um, yeah. so as, as we, you, you got to the point where now you have finally, you know, admitted and we're willing to talk about this. So pick up from there. What, with the rest of your story. You know, um, for the, you know, I was in the out of counseling for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really wasn't until 2008 that, um, things started to change for me because I was in the now and I had a time period where my eating disorder was fine. Wasn't bothering me. And then 2005 happened where I lost a dear friend to cancer. And three years later, I'm grieving her like it's yesterday. And some of my red flags with my eating disorder started to come up. And one of them is if I get overwhelmed looking in the refrigerator, trying to make a food choice. And instead, I shut the door and I start snacking. Mm -hmm. And that was starting to come up again. So I reached out to my pastor who knew my story and and had been helpful in intervening intervening on things in the past. And... um, he connected me with a counselor who specializes in eating disorders, excuse me. And I, I met with her and I've actually, st- I'm, I've been with her now going on 14 years and Amanda has taken me places that I didn't know I needed to go. She has taken me to the hard places where I knew I needed to go and didn't want to go. And we've learned a few other things, uncovered some things that neither, neither of us expected yeah. in the process all as part of God's healing plan. Mm-hmm. Amanda's a Christian is, and she's was a Christian. Yeah, she has her own agency now and she also specializes in eating disorders. Was but, I wanted to ask you, Sue, is, was there, was there certain specific things or maybe, maybe one or two things that, that would trigger that, that behavior? With the eating disorder behavior. Yeah. Stress is a big one. Mm-hmm. Any kind of emotional stress. It's really easy, again, because eating disorders have nothing to do with food and everything to do with unresolved issues. Yeah. So when when stress comes up and those emotions start to stir, my gut reaction is to not eat mm-hmm. because you know I, 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 my brain just short circuits itself and I can't think about food. Because it's like, it's, that's one extra thing I can't handle right now. So I'm just going to snack. Uh, stress is a big, big one. Um, that's actually, that's probably one of the biggest ones is just whatever kind of external stress there is, you know, now for a while there eating in public with other people was a real issue for me because again, I'm thinking everyone's looking at me and I, and, and please hear the generalizations. These are, these are the lies of an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. But at the time when it was active, I didn't know how to tell it apart. Right. So I took it to be truth. Um, Amanda and I, you know, the, the first number of years when we've, we talk about openly, we have a fantastic relationship. And what she has said is that we had to get me stronger in the present before we could go back to the past. She knew about the rape in our third session. 
she looked at me and said, this is huge. Have you ever worked it through with anyone? And I looked at her and said, I wouldn't know what it looked like to say I, I worked it through. So I guess that's your answer. Mm-hmm. So we knew from the start at some point we were going to go there. But I was not ready to go there then. And it really wasn't until 2014 that we finally went there. Mm-hmm. So a lot of my healing has been more recent. Um, so, Sue, um, I just, just out of curiosity, what do you think the biggest contributing factor mm-hmm. is to someone like you in your case? What, what's, what is the difficulty of, of letting it surface and, and being ready to talk about it? Have you recognized what that is? In, in, in terms of the sexual assault? Well, I mean, when you, you know, yeah, the sexual assault. So what, what was the breakthrough moment like to, you know, get you to that point of, of, I don't, I don't want to call it submission, but just surrendering the outcome, so, much, so to speak, right. to, to go ahead and, and deal with yeah. it head on. Why, why did it take so, so long, do you feel like? Um, because I was a master of protecting myself, uh, and I didn't trust others. Mm-hmm. And I was still holding on to all the emotion. I had not dealt with it. I was still holding on to all of the raw emotion. It was like, was it, it, it's, it's like your secret thing here that you're. Yeah. 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 And, and, and then you try desperately to not let, let on to anybody, mm-hmm. but you know, it's starting to creep out of the hole and it's starting to affect you in different ways. But, but and your you're, desire and to, you're trying to knock it down and then you have a war within a war and it gets to be really fun. But then you add on top of that, your desire to, to feel like you've got to please people too. I think, mm-hmm. you know, when you oh, talk yeah. about this freezing, you know, you, you're, you, you're several layers that you've built up here, oh, <laughs> walls, yeah. that, you know, oh, that, yeah. that you got to break down, you know, bit by bit. And I'm, I'm trying to get this out because yeah. Yeah, somebody listening is, needs to identify these behaviors within themselves. But as I hear you talking about it, I can, I can almost see, you know, the, the visual, physical look on a, a person, you know, you're, you're protecting this over here. I, I, but you, you feel like you've got to please somebody at the same time. And part of pleasing them is also wrapped up in your whole identity that you don't, yeah. and it's and that, not to mention it's a fake identity too, because yeah. you talked about wearing a mask. So, mm-hmm. man, there's, there's a lot of layers there. So yeah. There I'd, are. Yeah, there are. And, and that's, why it took so long to dig through. And when Amanda said we had to get me stronger in the present, I had boundary issues like you would not believe. Yeah. I let everybody walk all over me. I, because that people pleasing thing, I didn't know how to speak up for myself, that people pleasing thing. And then, and then you have that on the surface, but then underneath you're mad at yourself mm. because you can be mad at somebody else but it's really mad at yourself because you didn't stand up for yourself. So then you start the blame, shame, and, and you know, game within yourself. You're tearing yourself down all the more. And then the, the, the mental health starts of I'm a screw up and no one could ever love me and I can't do anything right. And it just continues to spiral down all because I didn't say no. Yeah. So yeah, it, it, ju- it just gets out of control really quickly. And that's, that's why the, the brain was just so loud. It was just, I just couldn't shut my brain up. And, and thank God for Amanda, because that really helped me 
be able to start to exhale and, and take the puzzle pe- puzzle apart one piece at a time. So and, when and you started, when you started counseling, what, what, what tools, if you can call it that, I mean, what, what methods was it, was it expressing it that, you know, talking through it? Was it, you know, um, I don't know, meditation. What, what does that look like? Because I mean, for me, I started realizing these things within myself in in my condition, a lot having to do with, you know, just, just things that happen to you in your life that you don't have this cognitive ability. I don't think at a a young age when your, your brain is still maturing, um, you know, and add on top of that, uh, where, where you stand with the Lord and, and where your faith lies is, is the other element to that too, because I, I, I trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to make to make me aware of of just anything. I mean, now, um, but I really had to learn how to mature my thoughts. You know, do like the Scripture says when I say when Paul is talking about to I think it's in Ephesians that you take every thought captive. I mean, think mm-hmm. about that. How can you take every thought captive? Right. And it, when you're talking about the battle of of the mind, I mean that's a that's a war. You know, it's it's not a physical war. It's a it's a spiritual. It's a mental war. Mm-hmm. So, um, I've had to learn how to take every thought captive. And one of the things that I've I've used to encourage people and motivate people is just to ask the question: Are you in control of your thoughts, or are your thoughts in control of you? Mm, that's a good question. And that's a real good question. When you know, really, you think as a critical thinker. I mean, that's a mouthful of a statement question. You know. I don't know where, where can you go with that? So, right. yeah. So thank you for you know, kind of breaking that down because I, I, I know people that, that listen are having these mental, you know, mental wars all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, this as well as anybody being a life coach that you, you've got plenty of work to do, you know, counseling um, counselors are booked months in advance now. Mm-hmm. Um, for, for various reasons, you got COVID where people have been out and right. isolated for so long. And, um, yeah. So let, mm-hmm. let me, let me kind of get a, a little bit from you about how you came to know the Lord and your, your reception of salvation and you know how that, I know it happened at certain stages of your life and, um, kind of give me some insight as to you know where you met the Lord and all this. Yeah, and, and and the smile on my face because I still remember I'm coming up on oh goodness, uh 30 27 years? Mm-hmm. 37 years. 37 years. And I'm doing 37. Wow, coming up that not long already. Um I came to Christ my the summer between my senior, my junior and senior years of college. I was working at a fast food restaurant and a coworker, I didn't really know him real well, but Obviously, it was just God, and I don't say that lightly, but a coworker invited me to a Petra concert. I didn't know who Petra was. I hadn't really been to many concerts at all, and I really didn't know what I was getting into. And went to a concert, and throughout the course of the night, there was just a joy that the attendees had. And I was like, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want that. So when they did the, 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 the prayer of salvation at the end, 
I prayed and I invited people backstage to get some literature. And I looked at Buddy, the guy that brought me, said, let's go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and to his credit, we went back to, the, to where we worked afterwards. And, and he encouraged me to tell somebody what just happened. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm kind of being shy about it. And, and he just he kind of said it for me. But I understand now why he did that. I'm just trying to help me help secure it in my own mind. But even then, that was my junior, going into my senior year of college. It was another year before I realized my lifestyle should change. And even then, I was still kind of up and down for a long time. Yeah, for a while there, almost, I would say, every major turning point in my life happened at a Christian rock concert. Because mm-hmm. at least that, that was where I was hearing the Lord. That was where I was feeling moved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, God will speak in whatever language it takes to get your attention. Yeah. And uh, so, you know. So, so I had a number of years there where, you know, I was, I was really enjoying the Christian music, music scene, mm-hmm. uh, going to a lot of concerts. Um, but, and that was a good foundation mm-hmm. for me. Um, well, I that think, foundation you know, is, so just let me, just let me mention, I, I went to, a um, Chris Tomlin, Bethel music and, um, mm-hmm. uh, Carrie uh, Job, uh, yeah. back in August. Best okay. and I've been to many many concerts. They put on mm-hmm. the best performance, man. I I don't like to admit this. I cried. I cried just about the whole show. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just felt you know the, the music was really good, but mm-hmm. I could feel the spirit of the Lord moving right. in that place just because you had right. you had so many believers all together at one mm-hmm. time that were right. really interacting, and I think mm-hmm. I think God really really pours his spirit out on, on people in those moments when you have a corporate gathering of right. believers, you know, they were selling less. It's, this was what I found kind of funny. Um, and I don't, I, I'm not a very religious type. So if, if somebody wants to have a beer or something like that, I mean, right. I'll have a beer from time to time, but they were selling beer on the, you know, in the concert and <laughs> they, they were there was more people lined up for the the, the water uh, because it was so hot. Because I live in South Carolina and it's humid in the mm-hmm. summertime. But yeah, um, just you know, what I'm trying to say is, if people had a beer, it's not the issue. But it wasn't an induced uh, enjoyable time because of alcohol. Everybody right. was just having a. They were just being moved, and that was that was really right. powerful. They, they did a great job. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that foundation, um, but again, it was kind of up and down and that kind of maintained for quite a while. Um, but that foundation also saved me in 1990, 1991. Um, we did an intervention on my dad and then mom and dad divorced. And again, emotions aren't my friend. I never learned how to express them. I didn't know how to, how to communicate for myself of what I was feeling. I felt trapped in, in the middle, in the, in the divorce. Uh, everyone was concerned for mom. So when I had, I, I was working on college campuses. So when I went home from break, I would stay with mom, but I always want, wanted to go see dad, make sure he was okay and let him know I still loved him. So I've just felt torn in between there. Um, I was, I worked at a, a sports camp out in Missouri called Canna Cup Christian Sports Camp. And I spent five of the most foundational years of my believing life out there. And they had, they had a discipleship trip out to Colorado 
over New Year's between 1990 and 1991. Mm. I went out there and in the middle of the divorce, um, one of my friends was a, is a Christian musician named uh, Billy Sprague. And we lost touch. And Billy, Billy was the artist on, on, the, uh, on the retreat. And um, I had, um, we reconnected. And I told us, I need to learn from something you've gone through. See, Billy's fiance was killed in a car wreck on her way to surprise him to a, at a concert. Mm-hmm. And he found out right before he went on the stage. So he went head deep in, in grief. Billy was suicidal and he had started to come out of it, but he had experienced a number of years of just that deep depression. So he and I talked the last days of, of the, of the, uh, ski sl- of the ski slopes. And, I, and he, he asked what was going on. And I said, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? Mm. And we talked and, and, that conversation was the first big breakthrough that gave me a lifeline of hope because there was, if, if I, I told him that there were only two thoughts keeping me alive at that time, I was rational, rational enough to know that my parents, my family did not need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. If I got really bad, I would have found a way to ditch that one. But the second thought was a nagging optimism that would not let me go. And I knew that was my relationship with Christ. Uh And that's what, that was the the big thing that got me through. Uh It took another six months after that conversation for my heart to start to thaw, but it started to thaw and I started to feel again. So I credit the big turn with that conversation that helped, you know, as things started to transpire. But in t- when I, when Mallory passed in 2005, um, and then I started meeting with Amanda in 2008, that's when, that's when, when, when things really turned. Um, we, Amanda and I didn't start dealing with the rape until 2014. There was a movie that came out that year called Ragamuffin, and it was based on the life of Rich Mullins. He's a, a late Christian musician, was killed in 1997. If uh, your listeners are familiar with a song called Awesome God, that's rich. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns uh-huh. power and love. Um, so that's rich. And they did a movie about his life, you know, based on his life. And it was a hard watch for the first 20 minutes. I did a lot of uh, wiping of my eyes because I didn't want anyone to know I was crying uh-huh. and, and trying to hide it. You know, the just, just got some dust, mom, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And, um, Later that year, the movie producer and the family and friends of Rich who were involved in the movie decided to do a retreat based on the themes of the movie. And one of those, one of those themes was about being authentic and the masks that we wear and your relationship with your parents. Uh-huh. And, and, and you can just see all the arrows that are hitting in my heart. And it took a while for me to sign on. I, I kind of knew God wanted me there, but I was fighting God. Yeah. Because I was supposed to be in Nashville to see some friends. And um, I just kept coming back. What kicked it for me was my brother during this time was serving 18 months for a drunk driving accident. So it was just mom and I. Scott got um, in August of that year and ran into some friends in town. And they said, man, I haven't seen you for a while. Where have you been? And he said, in prison. And, and that struck me and convicted me. 
because if anyone had a reason to be private about your story, maybe feel some shame and definitely keep a secret, it'd be, you know, it could very well be someone who's been in prison. And yet he was bold about it and he was authentic. And that really convicted me. And I went to my, signed down to this retreat, went back to my counselor and said, I just want to be authentic. Get me ready for this retreat. And we spent six weeks talking about my fear and my anxiety and, and all the hesitations I had. But the foundation was laid to go into this retreat, ready to experience God in a fresh way and to let him do something in my life that he was wanting to do. It's also the year that Amanda and I had been dealing with the rape. So all the emotions were stirred even more because talk about coming out of an icebox. Um, we were, you know, I, I, I had to deal with what happened and I had, I had to, I was looking at the entire situation with the eyes of an, and the mind of an adult and trying to put that on a seven-year-old. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't being fair to that little girl and I wasn't being fair to me. One of the hardest homeworks she gave me earlier in the year was to look in the mirror 10 times a day and say out loud, the rape was not my fault. Mm-hmm. And at first it was, the rape was not my fault, you know, and I couldn't say it. I had to name it. And after a couple of days, it kind of started getting a little more emphatic, a little more emotion to it of the rape was not my fault. The rape was not my fault. The rape was not my fault. And I kind of put the emphasis on different words. And that helped me start to believe it because uh-huh. up to then it was just words and it was, it was what someone else was supposed to say, but it wasn't true in my case. Uh-huh. Um, so fast forward to the retreat, they open up a Facebook uh, room for the people who are attending retreat a few weeks before retreat. The first year we were all strangers. The only commonality we had was that all 50 of us had seen this movie. And we were drawn to this retreat with strangers to experiencing something. And we didn't know what, but we felt like we were supposed to be there anyway. And they asked us to share our stories in this room. Everybody else is sharing their story and I'm encouraging everybody else. And I'm stalking because I'm not opening my mouth for about three days. And then it was my turn. I kind of got that that hard heart pump you get. Mm -hmm. And I spent a half hour at four in the morning with literally with a pot of coffee going and typed out my story. Mind you, up to this point, I had never publicly shared my story. Hmm. No one else knew. And um, so when I hit post, I was waiting all day long for the first comment to trash me because it's all I'd ever known. Hmm. Up to now, it was my fault. Even though I'd done this exercise with my counselor, and was starting to believe it, it takes a while to really let go of all those strands. And um, we are now seven and a half years after the fact, and I have yet to hear one negative comment. Wow. Instead, it's, you're so brave. You encourage me. I want to meet you. I just want to give you a hug. Thank you for sharing your story. You help me, you help encourage me to share mine. Mm -hmm. And that set the foundation where I could go in there and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Mm-hmm. That what kept the healing were those first three retreats. The first year, 
I had to own my story because I was in denial about my story. I hated my story. I didn't want it to be my story. Mm-hmm. And I had to own it. And, and, and at each of the first few retreats, I had what I call a sacred moment of release. One of my biggest fears was that I would start crying and not stop. That was partially realized. I cried and I stopped. I might have cried for 10 or 15 minutes, and I'm talking hard cry like everybody knows what's going on, <laughs> but I stopped. And, and again, that's one of those lies to make you stay in your little shelter. Um, so the first year I had to own my story. I went into that retreat calling myself the holy exception. When I, how I defined that was that I believed, was, I was believing the lie that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. I was too screwed up, too far gone. I was a waste of space. There's no way God could love me. There's no way his grace was strong enough to, to dig me out of the pit that I created. So when I talked about earlier, when we first started the show, that's what I'm talking about. I called myself the holy exception. I left there saying and starting to believe for the first time that Jesus Christ loves me. And he not only loves me, he likes me. And there's a really big difference there. Yeah. And that he's absolutely crazy about me. Mm. There's nothing magic about the retreat for such a heart transformation to happen in 48 hours. Mm. What happens there is that the leadership gets out of the way and lets the Holy Spirit do his thing. Mm-hmm. That's the power of the retreat. The next year, I had to grieve my story. There is a lot of loss in my story that I had never grieved. I never even acknowledged that it was loss. And I had to deal with that. That sacred moment of release was more intense than the first. But it was freeing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely freeing. The third year, the nugget from retreat was that I am valuable to God. Once I owned my story, gave it the proper attention it, does, it, it required and it included the emotional attention of grieving it and acknowledging the loss and the hurt that comes from that. Once I owned it and grieved it, that then got, gave God the foundation to rebuild. And that, that building block, that first brick, I am valuable to God. Mm-hmm. And that is where things started to change. When I dared to believe that I mattered. Because when somebody dares you, they are asking you to take a risk. They're asking you to step out of your comfort zone. And they're asking you to do something you may not really feel like doing. I had to dare to believe that I mattered. Mm -hmm. Because that's what God says. And I can either believe God or believe me. And I've proven myself to be pretty unreliable, mm-hmm. but God hasn't. That's right. Once I, once I started building on that, that's when the healing really, the healing was started, but that's when it started to ex- manifest. Grow. Yeah. Manifest. Yeah. And then, you know, things have happened since, but you know, those are, those are steps that aren't ones you can just blow through mm-hmm. and aren't ones that you can do on your own but they are so vitally necessary 
for God to be able to till up the fallow ground and rebuild what he wants to build. Yeah. So I was, I shared this morning with a, uh, a guy I work with. Uh, sometimes the Lord will move on me to, to, you know, reach somebody specifically. And this morning just happened to be one of those times. And this doesn't happen often, but it is, it runs in parallel to what you're just saying. And this is in, uh, in John chapter eight, uh, verses 31 through 36. And Jesus is talking through most of this quote to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus said, quote, if you hold my hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mm -hmm. They answered him. We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you are free indeed. Mm. And, um, you know, that yeah, I, I look at those kind of things when you talk about uh, finding your freedom in Christ. I mean, that that verse comes to mind, but also you, I think you, you recognized your identity, and like the scripture says, we, um, we are the righteousness of God through the through the blood of the Lamb, and um, that's that's the lens of which our our heavenly Father sees us through, mm -hmm. is is through His blood and through His sacrifice and what and what He did, and the right. mission that He completed for us. So. Um, right. So as we as we kind of wrap up, um, I want to share with the audience, you know, when when you and I had our first call, uh, the the spirit really moved on on our our conversation before, but yeah, this is a I think a special um, situation uh, for you because that doesn't happen often, um, but when it does, I yeah, I'd be crazy not to not to give the Lord His glory for it. But as you were talking. Um, in our conversation um, that particular day, I'd, I'd happened to be reading Jeremiah and the Lord brought to my remembrance uh, where it starts in verse five. And, it, and he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born. I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. And he's talking to Jeremiah, but the, the significance of that in your story is has a lot to do with what what you feel like your calling is on the Lord to to get your story to the nations and I think you've done a lot of um, work through that as it is even therapy for for your recovery. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Uh, you got me with the tears again. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, I mean, when someone when someone shares that something like that with you. And, and, and your reaction is one of tears. I think that's just confirmation that God's moving and speaking. Absolutely. And, and, and for me, what it is, is that phrase set apart. All of us are set apart. And I don't want to, want to um, diminish you know, that calling for anybody. Um, what I am doing now is I'm a master certified life coach. So I work with, with clients one-on-one -on -one and in group settings and help them get where they don't think they can go. The same way that others helped me. I, I never thought that I had anything of worth. 
I never thought I would have anything to offer. It was someplace I wanted to get to and thought I could never get to. So now I coach people who, who want something better for themselves and aren't willing to quit until they get it. When I first started with Amanda, I, and it was evident it was going to take a while to sort through everything, I looked at her and said, if I do this, we are not stopping until we're done. I'm not doing this again. And that's, that's what I work with now are people who are, who are like, you know what? It's just time. It's time to put me first for a change. It's time to let me experience what God has for me. Um, you know, I've had a privilege of doing, I, I, right now I've been on a little over 100 podcasts in just two years. Um, the, the, the reach is expanding. Um, it has really blown me away. Just, I was telling, telling Matt before, um, our local NBC station has a segment called tell me more. They just featured me last week and just getting the feedback from that has just been amazing and, and very humbling. But I believe that God has a message for his church. And I believe he wants me to be one of his mouthpieces for that because I can share my story and I can let others know there's hope. I'm a hope coach because when someone comes to me that tells me they've got a glimmer of hope that something could be different, the same way I had that nagging optimism that something wouldn't let me go, that same type of thing. So what I do now, I do a lot of speaking. I do coaching. I do podcasts. I've I've got a book out um, all in an effort to be God's mouthpiece to the broken, to the hurting, the wounded to be a voice of hope for them mm-hmm. to them and to help them learn to limp with style that's a phrase i learned from billy Sprague. learn to limp with style because we're all going to have our woundedness but if we can limp with style we show off the style that's right you know sue um i was um i've told a few people this lately you know, there's, there is a certain mystery that comes along with suffering, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't, I don't claim to understand it to any degree why someone suffers more than another person, whether they're, whether they're a believer or not, does that determine their suffering? I, that can't be measured because suffering to each individual is going to be different based on their circumstances. But mm-hmm. what I will say is this the mystery of suffering captivates me because when I think about things in a fashion of who God is and who he created us to be as free willed, you know, human beings to make, to be able to make choices uh, within a world that is, that is evil, you know, at its, at its core. Right. Because, Earth, Earth. What I've what I've understood from reading Scripture, Earth is a um, is a place that God still decides to dwell within and want to have a relationship with us. Right. And he he showed that more than anything by by giving of Himself and coming and living among us, understanding the human condition, understanding the temptation, understanding uh, the the mental battle uh, that that. We, his creation is is faced with, and then giving his himself up. And when I hear people say that that you know, he he died for our sins, well, he did. 
That's that's true. Um, but it's it's more that he gave his life up. He could have called it off at any time, right. but he didn't. And that's what makes you know, that so significant. But going back to the suffering piece, you will, I have not known a person, it's, it, I'm batting a thousand right now, but I've not heard of a person that has ever found God when they were on the mountain, when, not, when everything was going good. Mm-hmm. They've always found the Lord in their brokenness when they've reached their point of rock bottom. You know, I've, I've tried everything else. Nothing's, nothing's working. And so suffering in in and of itself is kind of unfortunately a part of the process. I wish my, my life as a believer, I mean, I still have problems, Mm -hmm. but I know, I know what to do with them now. And and that's, that's the the important thing. And uh, God never meant for us to, to dwell in his creation uh, without his help. He promises never to leave us nor forsake us. And, um, yeah, I want to make sure everybody gets hope from your story and also from, you know, just what's, what's available to us in, in this scripture. So, um, so as we wrap up, you, you have any, any last thoughts, anything you want to share? Yeah. Um, just tell people how to get in touch with me or are we get yep. to that in a minute. Yeah. Whatever, <laughs> right. whatever you want people to know. Yeah. It's my, my, my first statement before we get to that part of stuff. Yeah. Um, my, my encouragement to your listeners Dare to believe you matter. Mm-hmm. Harry Miller from Ohio State just came out yesterday, the time of this taping, was on the Today Show, sharing his story about his mental health struggles and how he told Coach Ryan Day of the Buckeyes that he wanted to kill himself. Mm. That's been a year now. And he, you know, he's he's better now than he was a year ago because he dared to believe that he mattered. He took a risk and let somebody else in. He had that glimmer of hope. And it has blossomed because he took a risk. Dare to believe that you matter. Let somebody in. And if you're not sure who, reach out to me. I would be honored to listen to your story. And if there's something I can do to help you, I will certainly do that. But the first step is the hardest one and is the most important one. And only you can do it. You have to reach out. Dare. I dare you to believe that you matter and that there is something more. And even you can experience it too. That life abundant that God promises, even though it may not feel that way right now. That's my, that would, that's, that's my part. That's my heart message. And every opportunity I get a chance to share, dare to believe that you matter. I dare you. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, do you want to leave your, you know, uh, your contact information? I know you want to mention your book. Can you tell us about that? Sure. The book is on uh, for anyone who's, who's seeing the show. Um, it's called this much. I know the space between. Came out in 2019. It's on Amazon and Kindle. Um, it is an award-winning book. It won second place nonfiction in a book festival uh, the year after it came out. It is my first book, self-published and award-winning. So for me, that was validation from God that I was doing something right. Yeah. Um, the book shares my story. It goes into a lot more detail about the things I've shared here. Um, 
and the people that were in, instrumental in my life. And then it also digs deeper into this. The second half is that healing journey about owning and grieving your story and daring to believe that you matter. Um, the concept is the space between this much I know is my story. All of us have a story and that is the one thing no one can take from us. That's right. This much I know is my story. The space between talks about that healing journey of going from having wounds that are bleeding to having scars that tell a story of hope. And what I mean by that is that when we're hurt, when we've been wounded and those, those wounds have not been treated, they have not been healed. They are subject to infection. You might cover it up with a bandaid of whatever that bandaid looks like metaphorically or even physically. Um, but until you take that bandage off and expose the wound and let it heal from the deepest parts, you are still going to be subject to infection and you're going to be wounded and you're going to be working at a disadvantage. But when that wound becomes a scar, it becomes a story of hope for someone else because then you are for them what someone else was for you. Mm-hmm. And that that's the concept. My business name is my step ahead. The concept is you only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you. While I'm still reaching out to my counselor to sort different things out, I can reach back to people who are just starting their journey and help them with the knowledge that I have. None of us have it all figured out. We won't. That is the biggest lie floating around is you have to have it all figured out before you can help somebody. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, we're all in a real lot of, a whole lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But with the knowledge that you have with whatever you have gone through, you can be that voice of hope for someone who's a step or two behind you while you're still reaching out to someone else to, to continue to, to grow your story as well. So that's all that um, you can find me at Sue if you go to um, SueBowls.com, send me your email, little message and everything. I have a three-part, what I call a hope package. It's a three-part PDF series. Um, I'd be happy to send that to you. Just has some more thoughts about hope, what it is, how we find it, how we can cultivate it. Why do we need it? So you can go to SueBowls.com, give me your email and everything, and I'll get all that to you. I'm on social media under My Step Ahead on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. And then also Sue Bowles Coaching. And then I have another website I'm developing uh, called mystepahead.com. And that one is designed more to be an encouragement website, have some resources. Again, that one's still being developed, um, but you can go there and check that one out as well. Oh, that's great. Great. Thanks. Um, so, Sue, I uh, sincerely thank you for coming on tonight and uh, sharing your story. I'm glad to get back in the swing of things. I, I've taken a few weeks off here. Like I told you, February has been crazy, but um, you were definitely the the special guest uh, to get back in the groove of of doing podcast again. And uh, as and, and another uh, fact is, so so you're I've had about seventeen, eighteen guests so far. Um, mm-hmm. You're my you're my second lady. So oh. uh, <laughs> I, I did have I did do a lady back in uh, December right before Christmas and 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 you but your your story is so unique and I didn't think when I started this podcast about addiction that I would be talking about eating disorders but I mm-hmm. the behaviors and everything that are so much alike are very very uh, much the same as as someone with an addict and 
I'll go ahead and plug this. And next week, um, I'll I have another podcast scheduled with um, uh, a porn ex porn and sex addict, uh, mm. uh, a guy who's as uh, a doctor. Um, he's he used to have a porn and sex addiction about twenty years ago. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to hear his story too. And mm-hmm. we got that coming up. So. Um, well, and just to your point real quick, eating disorders are an addiction. They, 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 they're, they don't, the big difference, one of the big differences though, is that with any other addiction, part of recovery is abstaining mm-hmm. with eating disorders. You cannot abstain. You have to yeah. face it and learn to live with it. And it's two different things, but a lot of the, the foundations are still the same. And a lot of the recovery tools are still the same. Mm-hmm. And nobody better to to speak to that than someone who's experienced it because, um, you know, mom, mom was opiate pain, painkillers. And mm-hmm. if for somebody else it's alcohol or, right. you know, a variation of different substances, but, um, what keeps us coming back to that is just like we, we talked about middle of the show. It, we, that's the area that we're protecting that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you're holding on to for dear that's life. The is strange. We're using to cover our wound. Yeah. Yeah, well, um, yeah, we'll wrap up. And, you know, Sue, again, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Matt. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I hope it touched you in a special way. I encourage all of you who are listening to ask God to help you overcome the strongholds of your addiction. And I promise you, he will answer. And for those of you who are in recovery, I hope that this gives you encouragement to continue to fight through the temptation of having any thought of going back to your previous life. It does get better in the days ahead. Please don't forget to hit subscribe to our channel so you get notified when we post new content. And if you feel so inclined, leave us some feedback. We are always interested in how we can get better and also how we are helping people. Thank you and God bless you.